John 6, verse 22. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but that they had gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, you were looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for the food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For, for on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, What must we do to the works God requires? Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, What sign then will you give that we may see it? And believe you. What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat, Jesus said to them. Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. From the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But I told you, you have seen me, and you still, not, still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who has sent me. And this is the will of him who has and this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall loose none of those who has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my father will for my father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them and I will raise them up at the last day. Very well read, thank you for that. My name's Aaron, for those that don't know me. Thanks, Kelly. Uh, if you like a reference point, Susanna, who did the kids' talk, is my uh, wife. I have two young kids, and um, one of them's sound asleep. Just a little pram over there. Thank you for looking after her. I have a mate who I uh, grew pretty close to at work, and uh, he, grew this, he uh, bought this country property, he was excited about retirement, building his dream home. He had massive water tanks, um, solar panels, batteries, animals, gardens, every, you know, all those sorts of things that you dream of to be completely off-grid and in your dream property, I guess. Every shift he'd bring his iPad and he'd show me the progress that he was working on his house. His days off were spent from sunup to sundown, working on the property so he could retire early. That was his goal. A couple of years ago, we were sitting in the room, tea room chatting, but this time he didn't crack out his iPad. He said, I've got some bad news. I've been diagnosed with cancer. He started reading this book by Richard Dawkins, The God Delusion, and he wanted to find peace with uh, his worldview. 
I gave him a transcript by John Lennox that I had found helpful. It was refuting uh, Richard Dawkins. Um, and it gave a really cl- clear gospel message. I was able to sit with him in the tea room and just talk to him about my relationship with Jesus and said if he would come to, to Jesus, he would have uh, eternal life. He had to quit work and I spoke to him on his uh, last shift. He told me he just couldn't believe in the claims about the Bible, Jesus and eternity. I saw him last Christmas. He came into the unit just to, just to have a bit of a chat with a few of the consultants there and, and he was looking really unwell. He was about to start another round of chemotherapy and sure enough, out came his iPad. He wanted to show me the progress on his house and everything that he was getting ready to, you know, finalised and his plan on getting it all done. I share this story because here's a man working so hard for something that's so temporal. When given the opportunity of something of eternal worth, he rejects it. What a severe problem uh, with humanity, a problem that can sustain unbelief, a problem that can pervasively affect everyone, including us here this morning. What we're going to do now is we're going to listen in on a conversation between Jesus and a crowd. So if you have your Bibles uh, with you, please open them up uh, to John chapter 6. And let's read 22 to 24. Uh, The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite uh, shore of the lake realised that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but they'd gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realised that neither Jesus or his disciples were there, they got in the boats and went to Capernaum's search for Jesus. So this last large crowd, they wake up probably from uh, a food coma of bread that they had the previous uh, uh, day after Jesus had fed them. And they realise that Jesus and the disciples are gone. You know, the, only one boat's gone. They don't know how Jesus has gone, but he's gone. They find some boats that had landed on the shore there and they launch off to Capernaum in hot pursuit of Jesus. Look at verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? They find him, find him on the other side of the lake. He's actually teaching in a synagogue. You can see that in verse 59 of the passage. But the first thing they ask him when they get there is, uh, when did you get here? Uh, I want you to notice that Jesus could have said, he said, look, in the night, I walked across the Sea of Galilee, big storm, met my disciples in the boat, miraculously transported them to the other shore, and that's how and when I get here. But Jesus doesn't answer that question. That's not what he says, does he? Have a look at what he says, verse 26. Jesus answered um, in verse 26, Verily, truly, I tell you, you're looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Jesus says, I'm not going to tell you why I'm here in Capernaum, but I'm going to tell you why you made you, why you travelled across all the way to find me. Maybe some walked around the lake, maybe some were in the, in the boat, quite a large crowd. But I'm going to tell you why you've come here. And you're here because you want more miracle bread. Uh, they're chasing after Jesus because they're controlled by their bellies. Uh, they want to hang out with someone who can feed them lunch 
every single day. You know the saying which says there's no such thing as a free meal? Well, uh, the Bible says that there is, and they wanted more of it. They wanted more of it. Seeking Jesus, not for Jesus, but what they can get from him. Not because they love him, but because he gave them bread. And in fact, they want him to be king. We saw that last week. So Jesus is going to direct their attention away from the food that perishes, but to food, namely himself, that will last forever. Have a look at verse 27. Do not work for the food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Jesus is saying, look, you're better off working for food that will last, for food that won't spoil. Don't spend your time, your energy, your money on things that won't last. Stop laboring for things that are eternally inconsequential. Now Jesus is concerned about the practical things in your life. I love it that we pray the Lord's Prayer. He says, give us this day our daily bread. God's concerned about everything in your life. I don't want you to lose sight of that. But nevertheless, God doesn't want the main focus of your life to be on the material things. Remember Jesus also said, man does not live by bread alone. Jesus says to these people, you work so hard to find me so I can fill your belly. How about investing some more energy into your eternal destiny? People are generally more attracted to the material things, aren't they? If I was to set up a couple tents over here and one said free food and money, and the other one said, um, uh, you know, eternal life. Um, I'm pretty sure I know which one would uh, attract the larger crowd, but this is how we're wired. We live in this material world. It's easy to live life concerned by the material. I think even us here on a Sunday morning, we've come here intentionally to meet with God, but it's so hard to stop our minds from wandering to other things, isn't it? Now, it's extremely commendable for anyone who's working hard uh, at their job to, to earn money, to provide for their family. But your life is more than that. It's extremely honourable for anyone who's elbow deep in raising kids and changing nappies, dealing with everything around the house. But your life has a spiritual dimension that you should never lose sight of. This is a call for everyone to live for more than just the material things, but labour for the food that endures that Jesus will give you. Now, the crowd asks in verse 28, well, then how do, we, how do we get this food? How do we work for it? Have a look in verse 28. They asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? And how does Jesus respond? Have a look at verse 29. Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Notice they said works in 27, but Jesus doesn't say works. He says work. He said the work required for this eternal food is to believe in the one that God has sent. Believe in Jesus the Messiah. Jesus is giving them a way to satisfy every single hunger they will ever have by just believing in him. This is the gospel. This is salvation by grace alone. This is a free gift. We don't work for this. We just simply believe. We simply trust in him. Isn't this liberating? Maybe you've come here and thought that maybe God's primarily interested about your obedience to a checklist of rules. Well, it's not that. 
God wants a relationship of love and trust. He's concerned about obedience, but it's always secondary to your relationship of love and trust, which the Bible calls faith in Jesus. Having children of my own, I know what this is like. I, I don't want my kids to obey me just out of rigid obedience. I want them to, uh, to follow me out of love and trust. But just when you think the crowd's getting genuine, they're asking something about uh, faith and how can we follow God, they give one of the most heartbreaking responses. Have a look at verses 30 and 31. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Now they've just seen Jesus feed the 5,000. I mean, what more do they want? But this was another day their stomachs were not full anymore. They'd already seen Jesus cause the lame to walk, the blind to see, the deaf to hear. He raised the dead, cast out demons, but they want another sign. They want more evidence. I think Cam mentioned this last week, but don't think the reason people don't believe is due to a lack of evidence. It's a heart problem. In verse 31, they're essentially wanting to put Jesus to the test. They say, Moses gave, gave us manna every single day. It wasn't just miracle bread one day, Jesus, but it was every day for 40 years. So they're essentially saying, Jesus, if you want us to see and believe, keep on doing your signs. Keep on feeding us bread. Can you beat what Moses has done for us? Your bread only fed us for one day, not 40 years. Come on, Jesus, do something more miraculous. By the way, not in today's sermon, but I love Jesus' response in verse 49 of this passage. He says, your ancestors ate this manna, but look where they are now. They're dead. You know. But despite their hardness of heart, Jesus gives them an amazing offer. I don't want you to miss this. Just behold Jesus for a minute. I want you to see his heart. Have a look at verses 32 to 33. Jesus said to them, Verily, truly, I tell you, it wasn't Moses who had given you the bread from heaven, but it's my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. It wasn't Moses, but God who was the provider. And now God's giving the world a different kind of bread, a bread that gives life. Jesus is greater than Moses. You eat of him and you will never die. You eat of this bread and you will live forever. And he gives you the true bread from heaven. Don't miss that. Can you see the word you in the text? He's offering it to them. He's offering it to them. He's giving you this bread. In one sense, this is how we should speak to the world, isn't it? God has given you the bread of life. He offers it to you. Take it. Eat it. It's free. But what happens next in verse 34 highlights their blindness. They're still thinking of food. Have a look at 34. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. They're still thinking of physical bread because they're obsessed with their physical gratification. They're blinded by their lusts. Can you remember what the woman of the well said to Jesus when he offered her living water? She said this in John 4:15. If you want to look there, you can. But she said, Sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty. 
and have to keep coming back to the well to draw water. In other words, they're saying, be like Moses and keep giving us the bread of God. Keep giving us this manna that fills our stomachs. We don't want another sermon. We don't need that. We need another meal. Not just a meal for 40 years, but for every single day onwards. Keep giving us this bread. We need to come back to verse 35, but have a look at verse 36. But as I told you, you have seen me and still do not believe. This is where it all comes crashing down for them. They've seen Jesus, but they won't believe. Jesus is someone who can fill their bellies with food, but they haven't seen Jesus as the Son of God, the bread that will satisfy them forever. What a sad conversation. How could they be so blind? How could they miss it? They have the very Son of God standing in front of them. The one who could fill this massive void in their hearts and their souls. The one who could give them life, but they still reject him. Can you see the major problem in this passage? They have a greater sense of urgency for their physical well-being over and above their spiritual and eternity and eternal. They're placing more of an emphasis on the physical things of life and have no concern for the spiritual. And I get it. You know, when you're hungry, doesn't it seem like food's going to solve all your problems? You know, when you're poor, don't you think that more money's going to solve all your needs? When you're sick, don't you think being not sick is the solution? But you and I know it doesn't work like that. Yes, God cares about the hungry, the poor, the sick, and he sometimes does miraculous things to meet those needs, and he actually calls each and every one of us to reach people with those needs and minister to them and to care for them and do as much good in the world as we can. But nevertheless, we know someone can be full in their bellies, can have all the money in their bank account, can have a healthy body and have an empty, tragic soul. Jesus didn't come to the earth to make people comfortable on the way to hell. Jesus came to the world not to give bread primarily, but to be bread. Jesus came to the world not to give bread primarily, but to be bread. What's really important in his life is not having all these things, but knowing and tasting the bread of life that per perfectly satisfies every hunger. Let me ask you, how are you going in that pursuit? How are you going with that? The people in that passage just wanted bread, they were hungry. But they couldn't see their daily need for food and feeling hunger was meant to point them to their greatest need, namely Jesus. And if we're honest, all of us know the daily battle. How many of us have gone through a day not skipping a meal, but forgetting to talk to God. It happens all the time if we're honest. All of us are often consumed with the physical needs of our lives and less about our need for God. All of us know what it's like, don't we? In this section of the chapter is going to highlight one of the reasons people walk away from God, and sadly many do. You can see that in verse 66. Don't let that be you. So what do we do? What's the solution? How do we escape 
from this. Have a look at verse 35. Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. The solution is simply coming to Jesus, the great I am. In fact, one of the first I am statements. Nothing in this world will ever fully satisfy you. Food won't. Drink won't. Relationships won't. Jobs won't. Health won't. Entertainment won't. The latest iPhone won't. A new car won't. Only Jesus can fully satisfy you. And Jesus says to them, and he says to us, I'm the bread that will satisfy you. You don't need to go anywhere else. Jesus promises to satisfy the deepest hungering and thirst of all human beings. And when he says you will never go hungry or thirsty, I don't think he means you won't wake up hungry or thirsty again. It means that we just know where to go to quench that thirst and that hunger. When you feel that hunger in your soul, we know where to go to meet that need. Whenever we feel hunger, thirst, loneliness, emptiness, it's there to remind us of our constant and daily need of Jesus. Your greatest need has nothing to do with your body, but it has to do with your soul. We were made to go to Jesus and find satisfaction for our souls daily. This is a daily thing. This is an ongoing thing. Coming to Jesus happens over and over and over and over and over again. So what might this look like? One simple thing to do is maybe intentionally pausing before each meal and genuinely coming to Jesus. God, thank you for this food. But God, we really need you to fill our hearts with your love for Jesus. You know, it's necessary to buy bread when you're hungry. It's important to exercise to keep fit. It's valuable to enjoy watching sport for entertainment. But it's futile if you think they will ultimately satisfy you. It's futile to be pursuing the physical over and above Jesus, the bread of life. And even if you don't feel it or appreciate it, Jesus is vital for our lives, more so than physical bread. Uh, Susanna often writes things as she meditates through passages, and she sent me this that she had written on this passage. And I'm going to quote, I want to quote her uh, uh, from it. It should be up, up on the screen if we can uh, get it up. If not, oh, yeah, there we go. Uh, it's a bit, bit lengthy, but let me read it for you. There is a higher purpose to our physical needs than merely sustaining the life of our bodies for 80 or so years. They point us to our need for him. There is no call to neglect our physical needs, rather than in the daily necessity of meeting these physical needs. We should find our daily dependence on him, our daily deepening connection with him, our daily growing hunger for him. We need him like we need water and more. We need him like we need food and more. We need him like we need air and more. We need him like we need human attachment and more. So as we prepare, as we prepare the food we eat, we can live in the spiritual reality of feasting on Christ. As we attend to the health of our bodies, 
we can lean on Christ to heal our broken spirits. As we change nappies and bathe children, we turn continually to Christ for cleansing from our sin. As we lock our doors at night to keep our homes and families secure, we can ask him to protect us from all evil. I think she's articulated that in a far greater way than I ever could have. It's finding ways daily to let the material and physical things of life drive us towards our need for God, the one who can provide and satisfy forever. He's still enjoying and pursuing the physical things that we need to live, but wanting more of Jesus, wanting more of him. Keep pursuing Jesus. Keep fighting for joy in him. Don't give up. And somehow through the power of God in his perfect time, if you come to Jesus, he says he will satisfy. Do you believe that? If you believe in the things that he says he will provide for you and do for you, you won't be thirsty. He says that. Do you believe that? Keep coming. Keep believing. Do you remember the story of Mary and Martha in Luke chapter 10? Martha's busy getting dinner sorted while Mary's uh, sitting at Jesus' feet. And I can just imagine Martha's getting really frustrated. She says, Jesus, tell Mary to come and help me. There's so much to get done here to prepare the food, etc. But Jesus responded, Mary has chosen what is better and eternal. You'll eat tomorrow, but you'll be hungry. To- you'll eat today, but you'll be hungry tomorrow. But the spiritual investment of pursuing Jesus will last forever. Or of the words of the disciples in verse 68 of this passage. And they said, where else will we go? You have the words of eternal life. How are you going with your pursuit of Jesus? Have you found balance in your life? Where does Jesus sit in the scale of importance? Look at verse 37 to 40. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up on the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. We don't have time to unpack these verses. There's so much in it rich with deep truths. And hopefully, if Ken's preaching next week, he'll, he'll develop some of this. But here's just a couple points. Just imagine for a minute, this conversation's just hit a, hit a brick wall. The unbelief of the crowd seems hopeless, doesn't it? What else does Jesus have to say and do? I mean, is there any hope for these people? Is there any hope for those who are relentlessly trapped into chasing chasing after physical fulfillment? They've missed their need for Jesus, despite all of the compelling evidence that Jesus has given. Is there any hope for them? There's something so off in the human problem, with the human problem. There's something so wrong with us that we can't set ourselves right. And unless we're given to Jesus, verse 37... Unless the Father draws us, we'll never come to Jesus. We'll never be liberated. 
But you know what's so encouraging about these verses? They want you to miss this. That in the midst, in the midst of the mystery of the sovereignty of God in salvation, it's this. That whoever comes to Jesus, looks to Jesus, believes in Jesus, will never be driven away. Verse 37. Jesus will never lose you. Verse 39. You will be raised up on the last day. Verse 39. And you will have eternal life. Verse 40. And this is a certain thing because it's the will of God. You know, there's nothing more certain in this world than God's will and God's sovereign will. Can you remember the purpose statement of this book in John 20, 30 to 31? He says, this is, these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. If you're just checking out who Jesus is, or maybe you've been a follower of Jesus for a long time, uh, well, the call for all of us is exactly the same. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Lift your eyes upward. Pursue the bread that will last. Don't let meeting the physical needs become an end in themselves. Let them drive you towards Jesus. Come to Jesus. Behold Jesus. Come now, come every hour of every day, and he, Jesus, will satisfy. Let's pray. Dear God, we are so thankful that we have your words of life. Maybe we're sitting here and we just don't feel it. Maybe you think, look, everything else just seems so important to me right now. God, change our hearts to see the truth that if we come, if we believe, you will satisfy us. You are everything that we need. You came to be bread for our souls. God, I pray you will awaken our hearts, awaken my heart to do this, not just today, but every single day. God, we're thankful for your words and we're thankful that um, you've given them to us. Uh, may we cling on to you in your name. Amen.